is actually to keep a journal. And I write down things that God is teaching me at the time. And this right here is, this one's from about 12 years ago. Uh, I got this journal. And it was at a very important time in my life. I was, it was kind of like I'd left college and I was going to kind of, um, I guess, into adulthood. <laughs> and a lot of things in here, and I was, I was flipping through um, the lessons that I was learning back then. But so many of the things are, are lessons that I keep learning over and over again. <laughs> it's like God is teaching me the same lessons sometimes. And I, there's one that particularly stood out to me. And I, I was actually flipping through it this morning. And I, I took a picture of it because I wanted to share it because it kind of goes right along with where I want to take the message today. Um, when I was... In college, I did a lot of backpacking. I loved backpacking. And so a lot of my things that God was teaching me had to do with backpacking, um, lessons in that. But there's one particular thing that I kept on learning, even as I was on the trail, and that was sometimes you have to go down before you can go up. And I used to call that the plight of the backpacker because you'd see this beautiful peak that you want to get to, You'd see this destination that you can see with your eyes, but how do you get there? How is it that I can actually get from where I am right now to that point over there? And I also learned that if you desire to change your destination, then you have to change the path that you're walking on today. Now, that, um, that stuck with me a lot because it, it actually resonates a lot with me today. <laughs> because we all have, I think, a a picture of where we want to get to. We have this idea of, well, I'd like to be, I'd like to be a more godly man. I'd like to be a man of, of integrity, and I'd like to be a man of character, and I'd like to be able to be that person. And so what am I doing today? What are the steps that I'm taking? What is the path that I'm getting on right now? And is it going to take me to where I want to go? Now, in my college years, like I mentioned, I was an avid backpacker. I did it for fun, and I did it as a job in the summers. Um, I worked at a camp where we would take at-risk youth and really any other teenager that wanted to join us, but we'd take them out for weeks at a time to, to caves and mountains and rivers. And my love for the trail and the simplicity of a backpacker's life, it really appealed to me. I enjoyed it, but to be honest, I also enjoyed hot showers. Um, sometimes when we were on the trail, we would come across a different type of person, though. And this type of person... Um, you, you could tell who they were pretty quickly. Um, you see, we would hike on, these, on this trail as part of the Appalachian Trail in North Carolina, but the Appalachian Trail stretches all along the eastern coast. And it's actually a 2,100-mile trail, but we would only hike certain parts of it, but every now and then you would meet somebody who would start at the very beginning and be going all the way through. And these were called the through-hikers, okay? Now, these people were very determined, they were used to being alone for long periods of time, and in general, they were very easy to recognize and to smell. I mean, just imagine being on a trail for that long at a time alone, with the occasional encounter with somebody or with wildlife, but you begin to, it begins to change you a little. Not only your odor, but you're just, you're a different person than how you started. And you could recognize them very easily because most of their gear was held together with duct tape. Their ultimate joy was having dry socks. And, but they just acted 
differently. I remember having a friend in college who, who decided to go off. He took a semester off, and he did for a few months of trail, and he came back, and we always said, there's something different about him now. <laughs> and that's where I learned in college through those trails, and even though I never made it through to those, that full through-hiker stench and odor, um, I learned that hardships have the ability to mold a human more than the easygoing times. You know, we joked about it, but it's true. The trail changes you. <laughs> now, like I mentioned, I never got the chance to do the full Appalachian Trail, but maybe that's a cool family trip we can do next time we go to the States. But I had a three-week trip. Um, and that three-week trek, we were actually reading a book. And to be honest, the, that book that I read was one of the most impactful readings of my college career, and it's called Hind's Feet on High Places. I'm not sure if anybody's read that, but I want to give you just a, a brief summary of the book. And um, it's similar to Pilgrim's Progress. I don't know if anybody's read that either, but the writer tells an allegory. And so that means that the people's names reflect the personification of that trait. So, for example, our main character is called Much Afraid. That's her name. Okay, and spoiler alert, much afraid, struggles with fear. Okay, and understandably so. She is an orphan, she has crippled legs, a twisted mouth, and she lives in the valley of humiliation. Her neighbors are her adopted relatives, the Fearings family, and they are a particularly nasty bunch. But one day in the valley, she meets the chief shepherd, who tells her of the high places and the peaks that surround the valley of humiliation. He speaks with strength and kindness, and she cries out to the chief shepherd that she too wishes to journey to the high places, and he accepts her desire, and he makes her a shepherdess, okay? But that's not the end of the story. It'd be a very short book if that was the end, okay? The fearings, her relatives, they're dismayed at the idea of much afraid following the chief shepherd, and they try to sabotage her journey by forcing her to marry into one of the most despicable characters, Craven Fear. Okay, so she runs, she flees from the valley of humiliation and the cheap shepherd introduces her to sorrow and suffering to other characters who will be her travel companions. She's frightened, <laughs> she recognizes her crippled nature and her inability to make it to the high places alone, but she is dedicated to the shepherd. So she, sh she sets off leaning upon sorrow and suffering. She knows that she will not see the chief shepherd the whole time, but she knows that he is good, and she chooses to go anyway. She's constantly reminded to follow the path that he gave her, and that takes her through the forest of danger and tribulation, through the furnace of Egypt, through the valley of loss, and the precipice of injury. She even makes it through the grave on the mountains. And as she goes on her journey, people from her adoptive family, they follow her, and they taunt her, hoping to sabotage her mission and to have her return home with them. Resentment, bitterness, craven fear, pride, self-pity, they're all there in her path, trying to drag her down, make her turn back to the valley of humiliation. She calls upon the shepherd to fight these battles, and, but he doesn't always help, or at least that's what she believes. And she has to lean on sorrow and suffering to defeat them. But she finally makes it up to the high places after much difficulty. But when she enters the high place, she gets a new name, okay? She trades in her old name, 
her old name being Much Afraid, and she is now called Grace and Glory. And she realizes how she has been transformed through her dedication to the journey and her unwillingness to turn around and go back to the valley. She reflects on what brought her there and the changes that have taken place along the way. And you know what? Sorrow and suffering, they are also transformed. They have now become joy and peace. And the shepherd then brings her to the cliff and to a place to where they can look over the valley of humiliation. And so he stands there with grace and glory. And she realizes that what she thought was malice in her family is actually spiritual misery. And after careful consideration with the king, she and the shepherd decide to return to the valley of humiliation to bring the good news to them and to free them as well. You know, it's it's a great book in my opinion. (laughs) Um, It highlights so much of the Christian walk. It highlights at the very beginning how, how she is given the title of shepherdess, even when she doesn't look like a shepherdess. (laughs) She expressed the desire to follow the chief shepherd. But her progress, the developing of Heinz's feet, feet that were able to climb to the high places, well, that that took time, and that's what the book's about. (laughs) And it made me start to, to think about all the different times, how we are led to paths where we are confident and we feel like Jesus is right there with us and carrying us even, but there are also times where we feel that sorrow and suffering are our only companions. And it made me think, and I ask you the same question, what if in that process, in that time spent with sorrow and suffering, that's actually meant to teach us something? It's actually meant to refine us, to strengthen our legs, per se, to be able to walk in those high places. Now, as I mentioned, the, the book, it was, it's, it's a fictional book, but the author of the book has taken the core message found in the book called Habakkuk. And so, If you have your Bibles today, we're going to turn to Habakkuk. If you don't have a Bible, um, we'll put it up on the screen behind us as well. And I think we have some extra copies in the back. Um, If you don't have a Bible, yes, we have Rob here. He has some Bibles. You can just raise your hand and he will get you a Bible. And if you don't have a Bible, then please take that home with you and read it. Um, But yeah, if we need more Bibles, we have lots in the back too. You're welcome to take one. So it says this in Habakkuk 3, and this is uh, something that I had written down in my journal as well. It says, even though the fig trees have no blossoms, and there are no grapes on the vines, this is in verse 17, even though the olive crop fails, and the fields lie empty and barren, and even though the flocks die in the fields, and the cattle barns are empty, yet I will rejoice in the Lord I will be joyful and in the God of my salvation. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes me as sure-footed as a deer, able to tread upon the heights. That that passage is so powerful. And if we're to, to look at Habakkuk's time, historically there were a lot of things going on. We understand that Habakkuk was a prophet and he was serving his people, um, right before the fall of Jerusalem. And he was watching the armies and they were growing stronger and the threats were growing louder and he's giving this message to a people that would soon be defeated. They would be exiled and they would be taken away from their cherished homes. 
He's describing a barren land, a place with no prosperity, no figs, no grapes, no olives, no grain, no sheep, and no cattle. The list is almost overwhelming. But then we see this word, yet. (laughs) Yet he chose to rejoice in the Lord. And there is always a choice. He commanded his spirit to rejoice in a saving God. Now, to be honest, this is a lesson that I've been trying to apply, that I've learned, it feels like, so many times, but I keep learning it. Our response to trouble and to difficulty and things not going our way or things not going the way we had hoped or expected is more influential than the actual predicament that we may find ourselves in. We get to choose how we respond to those. And the reason why we struggle in this a lot of times is because we overprioritize what we hope for and we underappreciate the incredible Lord, the incredible Lord that we have. The Lord, he is, he is the only one that reigns and is above all things and those things that we hope for, that we put our, our trust in and our desires in, no matter how good they are. They were never meant to fulfill all our needs. Verse 19 says that the sovereign Lord is my strength. The Lord is over all things. He is sovereign. That's what sovereignty is. He's over all things. And he is the one that reigns over my barren desert land. And he is the one that reigns over the abundant lands. He is my strength. He, makes, he brings me out of the valley of humiliation and he, he sets me to walk with him in high places. And I love it here that Habakkuk doesn't just say that the Lord gives him strength, which would be an amazing and an incredible blessing. But he states here that the sovereign Lord is his strength. Habakkuk's strength does not rest on his ability. It does not rest on his ability to carry out a plan. It does not rest on strategy or strength in numbers. His strength is the Lord. <laughs> Let me reread this passage in a different translation. A lot of times that, that helps us to see just uh, the passage from, from a different translation and other things can kind of stand out. This is from the Amplified Version. The one before, I believe, was in the, the New Living Translation. But in the Amplified Version, it takes some words and it kind of expands it. Um, a lot of times when we're doing the translation, um, English isn't always the, the exact, the words in English isn't the exact word, and so they try to give a, a few other words to help you understand what it says. But it says this in Habakkuk 3, it's the same verses. Though the fig tree does not blossom, and there is no fruit on the vines, and though the, the yield of the olive fails, and the fields produce no food, though the flock is cut off from the fold, and there are no cattle in the stalls, Yet I will choose to rejoice in the Lord. I will choose to shout in exultation in the victorious God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength, my source of courage, my invincible army. And he has made my feet steady and sure like hind's feet. And he makes me walk forward with spiritual confidence on my high places of challenge and responsibility. Now, when it talks about hinds feet or, or like, like a deer, um, that, 
they walk steady and sure. And I actually have a little video of, of they're actually mountain goats, but um, if you could go to the next slide, Nate. They are these incredible creatures, and they're able to walk where it looks like nobody else should be able to walk. That's actually a 160-degree slope, <laughs> so it's almost vertical. And so I can imagine as, as David or as any of the other shepherds or people observing these animals and how they're able to walk bravely <laughs> in places where they shouldn't be able to walk. <laughs> um, it looks quite foolish to us, <laughs> but their feet were made for it. Just as much afraid showed in her journey, it was a process that strengthened her legs. And it's that process that we are in all as well. Now, the chief shepherd, he could have very well given her legs to outrun the fearings. <laughs> he could have given her the ability to just shoot up that mountain and avoid the trail that led her through so much difficulty. But there is a spiritual journey that the chief shepherd knew that Much Afraid needed to make to be able to develop those kinds of legs. Now, I do feel like I need to clarify something before we move on. We could never earn our salvation by good works. We do not earn a good standing with God with how much we suffer. Let me remind you what it says, what Paul said in Romans 10. He said that it is, for it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. And it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. As the scriptures tell us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Jew and Gentile are the same in this respect. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, this passage is clear. My soul is secure. I have a good shepherd who has taken me in. He protects me. But why do I still struggle with all my old relatives <laughs> from the valley of humiliation? Why does pride, self-pity, and fear keep messing with me when they know that I'm saved by grace? In church, this is the process called sanctification. It's the process of looking less like our twisted and fallen nature and more like the incredible chief shepherd, Jesus Christ. Like I said at the beginning, the trail changes you. Walking in Jesus' footsteps will take you on the narrow path, and it is not easy. But imagine, why would much afraid stay in the valley of humiliation whenever she had a shepherd that was willing to take her to the high places? There's no reason for us to stay the way we are. When we have been called a shepherd, when we have been called a shepherd, when we have taken and said, you know what, I'm going to follow Jesus Christ, he doesn't leave us where we are. He takes us on a journey, and that journey will change us. Now, that journey, it's very likely you will find sorrow and suffering. I mean, Jesus was called the man of sorrows by the prophet Isaiah. And sorrow and suffering, they have their place. 
I know that's not a comfortable thing to hear, but can we really know that joy and peace if we haven't met their counterparts? Please stay with me. I'm, I'm preaching to myself here, but let's look at the life of David, okay? David is repeatedly used as an example for his trust and his confidence in the Lord. But look, look what's happening here in Psalm 3, okay? We're going to read in Psalm 3. This is a terrible part in David's life, okay? He had already been pursued and hunted by Saul in his past when he was younger, but now his own son is out to try and kill him. This is what it says in Psalm 3. It says it's a psalm of David regarding the time that David fled from his son Absalom. O Lord, how many are my foes. Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God, Selah. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord and he answered me from his holy hill, Selah. I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on all on your people, Selah. Now, I think David's psalm does a pretty good job as showing us how we can grow stronger even in our hardships. He had spent a lifetime going through difficulties. I mean, when he was a child, he was overlooked by his father. (laughs) And then he went and he battled a giant. And he was accused of wanting to steal the throne from Saul and he was run out of town and he had to live in caves. And then he fought many battles that he had to overcome and he became king and he had that epic failure of adultery and murder And now in his old age, when he would, I'm sure, just like to settle down, he's been run out of his kingdom again, this time by his own son. Now David knew sorrow and suffering. He knew them well. And for that, he knew joy and peace as well. Now in this psalm, we see the word selah. It's a sign for the one that is reciting or singing the psalm to stop and reflect. So let's look a little closer at the three blocks marked by Selah. Let's let's actually stop and reflect at each one. Okay, the first one, the first block, it's where we need to address. Addressing our problems does not mean dwelling in doubt. Okay, so we can list all of our problems off to God, (laughs) but we don't stay there. We don't stay there just saying, oh, these problems are just too big. uh, I'm done for now look what it says. It says, O oh Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there's no salvation for him in God. Selah. Now this is how many prayers of mine will start off, if I'm honest. I'm listing all my problems, all my fears, all my enemies. But notice that David is not just listing them off. He's finding refuge from fears and foes, even in telling how many there are. Because he begins his complaint with, oh Lord, without that word, without that address to God, the exclamations of his first block are the voice of cowardice and despair, but he's bringing them to the Lord. 
the very voices that are telling him he is forsaken and that God is not listening, that God has abandoned you, but he refuses to listen to them. And he cries out to his Lord, whom his enemies had claimed had forsaken him. The second block. But you, O Lord. Just like Habakkuk said, yet. David says, but you, O Lord. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy, holy hill, Selah. I cried and you answered. And again, we see God's intimate involvement with our trouble. And in Greek mythology, there's a story of, of the goddess of war, Athena, giving Perseus a shield to fight Medusa. And sure, it's a noble act, but this is how Christianity is different from any other story and any other religion that there could be. That God didn't just give us a shield to go fight our battles. It says here that he is our shield. What if we could actually grasp the magnitude of that statement? The creator of the universe. He loved his creation and he said, this is very good. Who then later saw his creation turn away from him. They broke his commands, they broke their commitments, and they would later crucify Jesus on a cross. But he went willingly to the cross because he would be the shield for our sins. He would take the beatings that we deserved. This is just a foretaste of the, the psalm that Habakkuk could, could understand and take solace in. And now we rejoice in the sacrifice being complete. He is a shield from our sins. He is a shield from our enemies. It's not that it's just that God has given us a shield. He is the shield. And verse 4 tells us that David's experience has taught him that as often as he cries to the Lord, he is heard. That's why it's so important to write down your battles. <laughs> write down the things that you're going through because later on you'll be able to turn back and you'll see how God has responded. And it'll strengthen your faith. It'll give you peace. <laughs> it'll give you faith in knowing that God has never abandoned you even when it felt like you were alone. The verb tenses in verse 4 expresses a habitual act and a constant result. The Lord's defense is steady. It is reliable. Doubt does not have a foothold because David had had decades of examples of how God was faithful even when he was not faithful to God. The third Selah block is that I can rest in the Lord's salvation. I can rest. And oh man, how we all need rest. I can be sure-footed. I can walk without slipping. I'm, I'm not afraid because victory, it comes from God alone. It says in verse 5, I lay down and slept. I woke again for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. Selah. Now, verses 5 and 6, they beautifully express this tranquil courage that comes from trust. He was surrounded by enemies, yet he was safe under God's protection. And he was exposed to no peril even in the night. We need rest. 
And I know we live in a culture that is obsessed with productivity, and we minimize this need for rest, or sometimes we even criticize the expression of rest. (laughs) But you know, true rest comes from walking and depending on the Lord and trusting that I I can rest and know that God is taking care of me. I can rest and know that it's going to be okay. (laughs) True rest comes from walking and depending on the Lord, taking time to sleep, to lay down, to not toil and fight. Those that walk with the Lord will find rest. And verses 7 and 8 show that the fearlessness is not so complete in David's life that he doesn't need to pray. (laughs) And the one thing that I've learned and my time walking with the Lord is that the more you walk with him, the more you recognize your need for him. You need him to disarm your enemies. And those enemies are very, very often the ones that are in your head. It's your pride. It's your aversion to any kind of suffering. It's the desire to only remain comfortable. It's self-pity. The Lord is your strength. The Lord is your shield. You know, this this message was actually, it took me a while to develop this message this week. (laughs) And yesterday, I I took some time, and one of my favorite places to, to work on my sermons is actually in a coffee shop. I don't know why, but the things going on around me help helped me concentrate for some reason. So I was sitting there with my headphones in and I was just going over all the times that God has been faithful, but also the the times that I have felt sorrow and suffering. If I'm honest, this, this year has probably been the hardest year or the year that I have faced sorrow and suffering the most. And there are times when your own mind begins to lie to you and it begins to tell you (coughs) that, I don't know, maybe it's not worth it and maybe you should turn around. Maybe it's not worth going up to the high places with God because you feel alone. But it's in those times when we have a choice. We choose what to do. We choose to worship God or we choose to turn away from God. (laughs) We choose to grasp hold of sorrow and suffering knowing that they will one day turn to peace (laughs) and joy. A church, I know that my struggles and difficulties are nothing compared to many of yours. And many times we try to do this alone, and we shouldn't. We need each other. Overall, we need the Lord. But don't try to do life alone. Don't try to to go along this path alone. Yes, the path will change you, but do it with a family. (laughs) Do it with the church. Let people in. At least have somebody that knows what you're struggling with so they can pray for you and they can encourage you and they can point you and encourage you to not give up. 
to remind you that the Lord God is your strength and he is your shield. We need that constantly fed into our lives. And I just want to close with a Psalm of David again. Uh, it's in Psalm 18, and I'm going to go ahead and ask Paul and the, the team to take the stage. But it says this in Psalm 18, verse 30. God's way is perfect. And all the Lord's promises prove true. He is a shield for all who look to him for protection. For who is God except the Lord? Who but our God is a solid rock? God arms me with strength, and he makes my way perfect. He makes me as sure-footed as a deer, enabling me to stand on, high, on mountain heights. Would you pray with me, church? Oh God, there, there are times when doubt, pride, and fear creep in and we question whether your way is perfect or not and we question if your promises are actually true or not oh God I pray that you would rescue us from our own doubt that you would give us strength to even when we don't believe your word <laughs> or that we would find it true that we would find it trustworthy, that your promises, they, they are true, and that we, we may pass through momentary times of suffering and sorrow, Lord, but that those times are, are changing us, making us more and more like you, like your son, able to reflect your goodness and your joy. God, I pray for each person here that is struggling, that maybe this year has been a really tough year, or maybe... Maybe they've, they're about to go through a tough season, Lord. God, I pray that you would strengthen them and that you would bring those around them that they wouldn't be alone. That we would remind ourselves that, yes, your word is true. Your promises, they never fail us. Your way is right. And even though we may, it might be a narrow path that gets difficult to climb at times, Lord, you have strengthened our feet that you have prepared us for it. So help us, Lord, to walk in it. Help us to be obedient to your word and to this faith. Lord, as we, as we come together to, to worship you now, Lord, I pray that we would find our strength and our might, our security in you alone, that we would never retreat back down to the valley of humiliation or, or whatever place it is that we came from. Lord, that we would have our eyes set on you alone. We would desire to just walk with you, to follow you wherever you're leading us, Lord. It's in your name, your good name, your faithful name that we pray, Lord. Amen.